1: The holidays, a season full of parties, gatherings, and seemingly constant events. Now, don't get me wrong. It is a great time to hang out with friends and family. But with all the moving around, things can get a little hectic. I'm sure some of you have a list as long as Santa's detailing the drama that can surround the holiday season. Where do you turn when you need to relax? How can you be centered during this time of catalyzing activity? Well, practices like yoga and Tai Chi can help you find inner peace while you sport an ugly sweater. We're kicking off today's show talking about Tai Chi with Peter Hodes, a Music City native and local Tai Chi teacher who offers classes weekday mornings at a studio in Bellmead, as well as regularly in many elder care facilities and community spaces around town. Last week, This Is Nashville producer Catherine Ceces joined one of his classes. Let's take a listen. Morning.
0: So, uh, what's the answer before you get started today? I get new people in all the time, so this is very very regular I have
2: some new It's a sunny Tuesday in December. Peter Hodes is getting ready to teach one of his weekday morning Tai Chi classes at a studio in Belmide. Today, eight students have arrived in person, and several more are joining through Zoom. Right on time, he starts the class.
0: Hello, Tai Chi River. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good to see everybody. We're gonna put our feet together and just bend our knees just a little bit, flex our ankles just a little bit, Think about your toes, think about your feet, just think about them moving around even though they're not moving. The Classics remind us first in mind, then in body, so you got to think about it and then it happens. Tai
2: right? Chi right. originated in China as a martial art. Most people are familiar with a type of Tai Chi that is for health and well-being. This gentle, low-impact exercise involves slowly moving through a routine of forms with a focus on deep breathing. Peter always leads his beginner classes through the eight pieces of brocade, eight exercises that are easy to pick up and repeated several times before moving on to the next. Here's Peter demonstrating the first.
0: The hands are put together, the thumbs touch. We inhale, roll the palms up and out to the sky with a big deep breath. Exhale, bend the knees, bring the palms back down, roll them over, keep it going, inhale. Slow and easy. The
2: benefits of practicing Tai Chi are well documented and include increased bone health and muscle strength, improved balance, stress reduction, and improved memory and mood. After finishing the beginner exercises, the class moves on to a study of the 37 form. It takes about two years of dedicated practice to learn and memorize the more advanced sequence. One of the joys of Tai Chi classes is the often humorous ways that teachers describe the movements. Peter does not shy away from leaning into that humor.
0: Open left, shift left, 100%, half moon, empty, there's no weight here yet. Then the weight comes, bang the gong with the right fist, bom, then drop the right fist with the empty step, then the punch.
2: After the class, a few students shared why they practiced. John has been attending classes for about a year. He is noticing some benefits.
3: Yeah, well, so the results have been, my balance is, is amazing, not that I had any real problems with it, but I can just tell, um, being at the, being in the grocery line, instead of getting anxious, I just thought practicing Tai Chi and it just, you know, makes me more relaxed. Yeah.
2: John is not alone. Studies show that Tai Chi can help improve balance and reduce falls, which are especially a risk for adults over 65. That is why retirement communities and care facilities are increasingly offering Tai Chi classes. Mimi, who instructs herself and has a dedicated practice, also notices a difference. It sneaks up on you. It seems, it feels like you're not doing anything, and then you go, oh, maybe my joints don't hurt so much today, or I ran up the stairs that I didn't do yesterday. Uh, It's really for good health. But she doesn't think the Tai Chi should only be for older people. I think this should be taught in grammar school. I think kids should know about it, like like the Chinese people do from the time they're little. Because it's body information, you learn what feels best in your body, you learn what's actually right
3: or not right.
2: The forms might seem difficult or like a lot to memorize. That doesn't bother Susan.
3: You know, you don't have to be perfect, you're never perfect, so uh, it's good. Because it gets you out of your head and into your body, like
2: listening more to your body. Guy found Tai Chi when it was offered as a part of a seminar he was attending. Since then, he's been hooked.
0: I'm older. uh, I've got a lot of aches and pains, and I can't do the exercises I used to could. But this is easy to do, and the benefits are, I mean,
3: I I can tell.
2: His advice to everyone, young and old?
3: It's fun Try. (laughs)
2: For This is Nashville, I'm
0: Catherine Zizis.
1: That sounds pretty fun. Peter, thanks for joining us today. Welcome to This is Nashville.
0: Thanks for having me today. Glad to be here.
1: Awesome. So listening to the class, it sounds like, you know, you and your students, you have a lot of fun together. It might surprise some people because Tai Chi often is taken like a very serious and meditative practice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So first of all... um, I'm an old sales guy and an entrepreneur, and I probably wasn't necessarily supposed to be a Tai Chi teacher. So I'm trying to bring some fun to the game to get people to come back. I think one of the hardest things that's been for Tai Chi to overcome is that generally classes are quiet and they're very progressive. And so if you miss a class, you kind of get off the the path, and it's hard to get caught up. And so I changed everything. I just made it fun. Beginners are welcome every day, and I try to – Take our Tai Chi very seriously, but not ourselves seriously at all.
1: So what are some of the things you do to add some levity and fun to the practice?
0: <laughs> well, I've been telling a lot of jokes recently. The senior living facilities love jokes, and uh, I hate to admit it, but my mom bought me a joke book, and I've been memorizing a few. And uh, I get about half groans and about half laughs. <laughs> that's, so, a good, that's a good
1: ratio right there.
0: <laughs> that's the start. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: so I understand that you've been practicing for over 32 years. Uh, February will be 33. 33 yes. years. Well, tell me, how did you first find Tai Chi? Uh-huh.
0: Well, I think the, the, the soil was ready for me. I had lived in Japan for a while, going to school. I had studied a lot of Buddhism and Zen Buddhism and just Japanese culture. And uh, and in high school and a little bit of college, I had dabbled with some martial arts very unsuccessfully. So um, I was on this island in Thailand traveling, and this guy was teaching Tai Chi, and I signed up. It was six hours a day for two weeks every day. Wow. And uh, I learned about half of what we would call the form, the the the, the practice. And uh, I was hooked. And 32 years later, somehow, miraculously, I haven't quit.
1: So what made it? What, what What is it about Tai Chi that had you at this for 32 going on 33 years of practice? Why would you keep it up?
0: Yeah. Well, the biggest thing is it's kept me sane through my entire life. Um You know, I joke about it in class pretty regularly that it gives you a vacation from yourself. Mm. Okay, so you go on vacation to the beach, but you're still in your brain talking to yourself about bills to pay and what to do and who said what and what happened to you when you were 12. So, you know, when you do these deep breathing exercises, when you do these slow, repetitive motions, it changes your brain chemistry. It changes your body and your nervous system. You wake up an hour later and you're like, whoa, what just happened? I feel great. Mm. And uh, and that's what I try to promote. You talk about
1: taking a vacation from yourself. I think I need a sabbatical for myself sometimes.
0: (laughs) Come on to class, buddy. I might
1: be in one of your classes (laughs) coming up soon. All right, so talk to me about how you made the move to become a Tai Chi instructor.
0: (sighs) Well, first of all, like I said, I was not supposed to be a Tai Chi teacher, and I'm not even all that great in the game of Tai Chi. Let's be clear. Um, I was a local entrepreneur I had a software company and emergency planning. I used to stand up in front of people all day long, policemen, firemen, emergency planners. And um, so I was used to being in front of people and training Um, in a weird, sudden, unanticipated way. I sold my company to my business partner and woke up the next day with literally nothing to do except to wake my kid up at eight o'clock in the morning, Mm -hmm. take her to school. So... I uh, asked the Jewish Community Center in my neighborhood if I could start teaching a class there. It was kind of a dare to myself almost. And um, they said sure. And people showed up on the first day. And they kept showing up. And uh, it's been six years now.
1: Wow. (laughs) That's pretty cool. You just did it and there it appears. Okay, so, you know, some people may be confused. I understand that there's two types of Tai Chi. Can you explain those
0: for us? Well, there's probably 10,000 types of Tai Chi. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm not exactly sure what type we're talking about. Um, there's three main styles, the chin style, the yang style, and the Wu style. Okay. Um, you know, I, I started a lot of my beginner classes with a joke. It says, how many Tai Chi players does it take to change a light bulb? How many? It takes 100. One of them changes the light bulb, and the other 99 say, hmm, that's not the way we do Tai Chi. So you got to remember this is an ancient thousand-year-old martial arts tradition with secrecy and competition tied into it. So um, today it's much more of a health practice, you know, Um, movement-based, relaxing, balance training, fall prevention. These are the things that I'm talking about.
1: So talk to me a little bit more about how the practice is really good for preventative health. A lot of folks, if you see Tai Chi being practiced, it's a lot of older people, members of the elder community practicing it. How does it benefit them? And also, how can it benefit younger participants as well?
0: Sure. Well, um, the physical aspects can be felt almost within 20 minutes. Uh, The deep breathing brings more oxygen, oxygen to your cells. That's fuel to the car right? Um, Your lymph nodes and your lymphatic system is being pumped as you move. So there's a lot of sort of anatomy and science behind the medicine ideas. There's tons of medical research coming out now about Tai Chi and everything, arthritis, osteoporosis, dementia, uh, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, the list goes on. Mm -hmm. And basically you just kind of clean your body out. They call it an inner washing. So just like you wash your car, wash your clothes, wash your dishes, we're moving around, we're, we're washing our heart, we're washing our lungs, we're washing our, our cells on a, on a cellular level. So I think the health benefits are, you know, do it for 20 minutes, you'll feel better. That's all I can say.
1: Is there a particular time of day where it's best to <laughs> engage in the practice?
0: Ah, great question, sir. So the classics tell us do Tai Chi in the morning, do Tai Chi in the evening. So uh, the, the main goal would be to wake up and pretty much when your feet hit the ground before your morning ablutions, what that is exactly. We're supposed to do about 15 minutes. And then right before you go to bed, pretty much the last thing you do before your feet leave the ground would be another 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And that would be a, every day for the rest of your life. That's all you need.
1: That's not hard. That's not that Half hard. Half hour. Perfect. I,
0: that's even given some you can do 10 minutes. You'll be fine.
1: Okay. Okay. Now the Chinese Arts Alliance of Nashville It hosts World Tai Chi and Qigong Day on the final Saturday of April when people from all over the world really celebrate these practices Yeah last year there was a free event at Dragon Park You were one of the instructors
0: there, right? Sure. Yeah, it's been going on for years now And uh, I've been participating for at least five or seven of them. What was the event like last year? Uh, You know, we probably get about 150 people out there. There's usually about 10 instructors, give or take, um, depending on the weather, it's nicer or not. And, um, you know, for about an hour or two, uh, each instructor for about 10 minutes will lead something and present something. And everybody just kind of moves together and talks, has a good time, and then moves on our merry way. Sounds like a really pleasant time. Uh, It's really cool because World Tai Chi Day, it starts, I think, in New Zealand, and every hour at 10 o'clock in the morning, as the time zone changes, it hands off to the next time zone to do Tai Chi 24 hours continuously around the world.
1: Wow. So you're really
0: connected to a global Uh, Theoretically, yeah. It's pretty cool.
1: Now, okay, so you mentioned something depending on the weather. Okay, we already established. You get up early in the morning and do Tai Chi. You can do Tai Chi in the evening. What about during weather? Is it okay to do Tai Chi when
0: it's cold outside? Uh, well, first of all, I was commenting about World Tai Chi Day because when it rains, nobody shows up. Okay. okay. <laughs> if it's sunny, you get a lot more people. Um, you know, that gets a little above my pay grade. There's definitely some theories and ideas that you do more in the summertime and less in the wintertime, kind of high, you know your body kind of moving through the seasons. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I think, you know, the more you do, the better. OK. Minute by minute, the more you do, the better it is.
1: All right. I have a feeling I know what your answer is going to be to this question, but I'm going to ask if someone wants to start doing Tai Chi. How did you, how would you tell them to
0: start? Well, in its easiest case, you stand up and start breathing deep and moving around weirdly and slowly. And you're doing Tai Chi. Um, come to class. Right. Find a teacher. Uh, there's tons of online resources now, including, I mean, I've, I started Zooming during COVID. I still teach via Zoom and online. I think it's an amazing hybrid model. I'm taking Tai Chi classes via Zoom with some of the best people in the country. So online, you know, when you're traveling is a really cool resource. But, um, you know, you don't have to make it such a big deal. You just got to give it a try and find a place that fits your style and, you um, More than anything, show up and don't quit.
1: Okay. We'll briefly have less than a minute left. Is there anything about your practice? It's the holiday season. Things are getting wild. Anything about your practice that helps you stay centered?
0: You know, I'd say it over and over again in class. Lesson number one is breathe deep. The classics give us four words. They say the breath should be long, slow, quiet, and fine. Do it all day long. Do it in the car. Do it when you're in traffic. Do it when you're waiting in line at the grocery store. Breathe deep over and over and over again. And then that'll cause some relaxation, especially to your shoulders and neck. And then those two things will breathe deep, relax your shoulders. Breathe deep, relax your back. Breathe deep and hopefully keep doing that as much as you can remember.
1: Really want to thank you for this. I'll be breathing deep as I take my personal sabbatical from myself.
0: (laughs) Come on into class any day, (laughs) sir. I'll I'll do
1: it. Peter Hodes is a Tai Chi instructor. Peter, again, thanks for this, and happy holidays to you, sir. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the time. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll be talking with Chris Baltadano and Sujata Yarlugada, two yoga instructors, about yoga as a practice and the spirituality of yoga. Stay tuned. This is Nashville. Nashville. Chances are that you or someone you know practices yoga. For some, the practice is about achieving a level of physical fitness. For others, it's about centering themselves to reach a balance of mind, body, and spirit. My next two guests are here to talk about how the practice of yoga has helped them in life. Joining us now are Sujata Yarlugada, a yoga instructor and yoga therapist who is involved with yoga research studies at Vanderbilt, and Chris Baltadano, founder, owner, and yoga instructor at Ola Yoga in East Nashville. Welcome to you both. Thanks for being here.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Okay, so we're going to talk about yoga in a minute. But before we do, I want to know a little bit more about the both of you and how you got into it. Sujata, you started with you. You know, you didn't always plan on becoming a yoga instructor. In fact, you were kind of headed toward a different path from what I understand. Can you tell me how you found your way to yoga?
3: Okay. I have a master's in computer science. And when I moved to Nashville, I was going to do my PhD at Vanderbilt. And raising two kids, I had to choose between raising my kids or my profession I gave up that because it was challenging. So then I was searching for something where there is meaning. Meanwhile, I was also reading uh, scriptures. And I ended up at uh, yoga class at our temple. Mm-hmm. I just love in March, 1999. I just loved it. After three months, I felt that connection with myself, what I read in the scriptures. And uh then I said, this is my calling. I'm going to take this yogic path.
1: So it was a That's how I went. a very spiritual experience for you. Yes. It, it's interesting because you chose between raising your children mm-hmm. and this career you had set for yourself. Yes. Right? I'm sure you had certain emotions surrounding that when you had to make that choice.
3: Yeah, it was tough. It was the ego was talking to me. Mm-hmm. I go, oh, how come I, can't give, I have to give up this my education and go towards yoga, but deep down, intuitively, I knew this is the path. And to this day, I don't regret about it.
1: What specifically in the scriptures spoke to you?
3: That you are that divine nature and you can access that. And yoga taught me to get there. Mm. Reading intellectually is different versus experiencing it in your within you. That's what took me into yoga.
1: I, I really don't want to get too philosophical or too off track, but you're saying that experience, reading. For intellectual purposes, a lot of people do, and it enriches them. They talk about it all the time. You can go online and find that. But you're talking about an experience Experience that's your body, your mind, and your spirit.
3: Yes, you're integrating your body, mind, and spirit using the breath as a tool. That's what sustains us. And breath, we take it as for granted. Breath is nothing but the soul's companion, the day we don't breathe the soul leaves the body. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's very important. It is integrated with the breath so you calm the mind and you go into that stillness, move into that stillness where you experience, who am I here? Where there are no labels, no names, no noise, nothing.
1: That is beautiful. Yes. Mm. Now, Chris, you also have an interesting journey into yoga. How did you actually end up opening a studio up here in Nashville?
4: So my journey to yoga really started as an athletic endeavor, I think like a lot of folks. um, I was really interested in the physical aspects of the practice and it evolved over time and very much got connected to this idea of breath and spirit. And when I moved to Nashville um, in 2018, I was not able to easily find in my neighborhood a studio that had that same ethos as the basis of the yoga teaching. So a lot of it was very focused on fitness and athleticism, which is a wonderful aspect of the practice, but I wanted something a little deeper, more enriching. And I think I've just always been one of those people that If it's not being done, then I'm just going to like take charge and do it. Um, Definitely always did the group projects in school. Okay. (laughs) So I think I was, I think I just thought I can do this because I came from a corporate background. Um, I thought that would help me a lot in ways it has, but nothing really prepares you for owning a small business.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, you know, yoga is this practice that developed in India and has spread quickly around the world. And I think a common perception of yoga is here in the States is that it's exercise. It focuses on flexibility and usually ends with meditation. We kind of throw that off to the side a little bit as a I, I, I cherry on top of the experience of engaging in a yoga session. There are also people who think that it's a religion or that you can only practice true yoga in India or if you are Hindu. It really seems like there's a lot of confusion about what yoga is and what yoga isn't. So I want to hear from both of you your thoughts on this next question. What is yoga, Chris?
4: Yoga is about liberation. Um and I think that's something that all of us can collectively understand regardless of what religion you practice or your nationality or anything like that. It's it's a it's a practice meant to alleviate suffering. So for some folks that might be very spiritual, it might evoke religious aspects for them, but I see yoga as a as a spiritual practice, and certainly there is a physical component, and that's a, a way we can get in touch with our that mind body soul connection. But to me, it is about moving away from suffering, away from these we we tend to anchor ourselves in these identities that are so external, and and yoga teaches us to turn more inward and and detach from some of those external anchors. So for me, yoga is about about
3: freedom. Sujata yes so yoga is a practice just like chris mentioned it is not a religion it is holistic it is disciplining at mental at the personal level the social level doing the postures because we have a body it's like a vehicle and doing the breathing practices relaxing the body and follow the other three steps towards meditation to find yourself, who you truly are. So it incorporates the discipline, at the physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual levels. That's mm-hmm. what yoga is. It has nothing to do to be a Hindu, to be in India, mm-hmm. and anybody can practice. And it only intensifies their faith when they practice. Mm-hmm. Yes, Mm -hmm. that's the beauty of the
1: practice. What what you all are talking about is something so so authentic to just existing as a human, right? And the things that feed us. But here in the United States, I'm not really dogging any companies, but yoga is definitely a multi-billion dollar business. Of course. And it's been taken over by this commodity right now. And what you all are saying is this is something that is for all humans. It's absolutely free. And it's something that that we can practice and and pull ourselves out. I I wonder, like when you look at um, the yoga industry here in the country now, like what comes across your mind, Sujata?
3: Here it's promoted at the physical level, unfortunately. But everybody needs that physical, that's the beginning to get into yoga. But from there, every practitioner, depending upon where they are in their own evolution, they, move, they, they can move forward into their practice and find the philosophy behind it, learn about it, experience it. That's the whole purpose of what yoga is. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Chris?
4: Yeah, I think when we, if you look at, if you were just at Google yoga right now, I think all of the photos would be pretty homogeneous. Um, it would be yoga pants, and usually thin people, usually white women. And so I think it's so important that we talk about yoga and teach yoga and include, as you said, it's it's a practice really of being human. So um, yes, this country certainly has made yoga look like it's meant for one demographic only, and it's really, really for everybody.
1: Now you really include a lot of inclusive uh, just practices in your studio at all. Can you talk to me a little bit more about that?
4: Yeah. I mean, as a Latinx woman and first generation immigrant, um, child of immigrants, I have just often not felt like the dominant group. I mean, I just never have been. I've never felt included just outright. And so for me, when opening OLA, it was really important that folks who felt marginalized, who felt that it wasn't for them, yoga wasn't for them because of their body type or skin color or language barriers, that they felt really welcome at the studio and so for for me that was it was really important to hire teachers who also embodied that same belief and who were representative of the community that we live in and teach in and so hiring diverse teachers of all kinds its really a hallmark of who we are at OLA.
1: If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kaleole Kalona. We're talking this hour about the practice of yoga and how it can help you center yourself during the busy holiday season and any day of the year. My guests are Sujata Yarlugada and Chris Boltadano. I really appreciate you both being here. Now, Chris, you were talking about the inclusivity that you really have at OLA, and you talked about your instructors. What do you all do for students, someone who's comes in who potentially maybe never had a really good relationship with their body, it could be a struggle for them just to tie their shoes. How do you make them feel welcome and make f- them feel like, again, what we were talking about before this the reset, it's a human practice for everyone, not just thin, skinny, athletic bodies?
4: First things first, it's really about... As soon as people walk into our doors is greeting them with sincere eye contact, name recognition, and a smile because we want to acknowledge how if you're not part of that dominant group, even entering a space where you don't feel you belong takes so much energy and effort. So really creating a warm environment is really important for everybody who walks in. Beyond that, once you're in the class, our teachers are really great about using invitational language, about using a wide range of all levels practices. So we give so many options. Not everybody can or wants to do some of these more advanced um, physical practices and shapes. So we usually offer, like, this is your practice. What feels good in your body? And that idea of being really intuitive in the way that you move is very important. It's a skill that we want to teach in yoga. So there's no right way or perfect way. As long as folks are feeling good and breathing and it feels they feel empowered in the way that they move... That's the core of our classes.
1: Come one, come all. Yes, absolutely. Now, Sujata, you are a yoga instructor and a yoga therapist, but you're also involved in teaching, what is this, oncology patients yoga as a part of a medical research study at Vanderbilt? Tell me about that.
3: Yes, so the concept for the patients is they have physical problems, emotional problems, mental problems, as well as they're not connected to the spirit. Yoga encompasses all those aspects, Mm -hmm. which helps them to conquer all the difficulties that they go through because they identify themselves with their disease. They become that cancer. Mm -hmm. You teach them to disidentify and teach them you are something profound. You can heal yourself. Mm doing these yoga practices.
1: Have you have you s- noticed any just difference in the presence of th- some of the people you've been working with?
3: Yeah, I mean, I worked with the patients uh, on a study, uh, about 40 patients, which was funded by NCI, National Cancer Institute. And um, they were remarkably very, very happy. In the beginning, when they walked into the room, they were kind of skeptical mm-hmm. because everybody has... The idea that yoga is for women who are slim, just like Chris was mentioning. But when they walked in, it was very welcoming from that, for them. And then I gave them a description of what is expected from them, what is that, that they need to work towards, which they did, and they benefited. And they were very, very thankful. You know, it was a very rewarding experience.
1: That That really sounds... Wonderful. And and just, I mean, being in the presence of you both, I feel much calmer already. You know, and as we're thinking about this, it's the holiday season and a lot of people are going to be running around. They want to enjoy this time of year, but it's hard for them to for a litany of reasons, professional, personal, um, spiritual, potentially. How can someone use this practice, a beginner, a neophyte, or to someone who is very practiced at it but may have, kind of lost their way a little bit. How can they use their practice during this time of year to help them center as they kind of clear through the holidays and prepare themselves for next year? Sujata?
3: So they can get on the yoga mat. If they cannot, they can sit on a chair, just close their eyes, get themselves to the center. Just listen to how they're carrying their body Any tension, whether it's in the neck, shoulders, torso, or the legs, wherever, and start letting go, releasing, and uh, check with their emotion at their emotional level, mental level, and how they're breathing. And slowly they'll start going, going in, and then work on their breath work, their breathing. So that helps them calm them down.
1: Can you give us like a quick breathing example?
3: Yes, it's a slow, smooth, deep abdominal breathing. It'll regulate their parasympathetic nervous system, so it brings them to... Rest, digest, renew mode rather than on the flight, fight, freeze mode Mm -hmm. the world is living on.
1: Yes, yes, I understand. All right, now, Chris, what would you tell someone who's really interested in trying yoga or is getting back into it for the new year, but they don't know what type of yoga or class to start with? How would you advise them?
4: I would advise them to go to, there are so many wonderful studios in the city, um, including Ola, that offer more gentle flows that are really targeted, not necessarily just at beginners, but you move slower. So slow flow classes, restorative classes, meditation classes, yin classes, all of these classes, the pace is designed so that folks can really take their time and move in ways that are really thoughtful. So if you don't know like the language or the terminology that we use in a yoga class, there's a lot more space to really uh, let that stuff integrate. And so I think those practices are really wonderful if you're thinking of going into a studio. Um, But I really echo the sentiment, too, that you don't have to go to a studio to practice yoga and you can really just start five, 10 minutes closing your eyes, finding some stillness, finding some quiet and listening to your breath. If you are ready for a studio, I definitely think checking out those classes that are targeted more towards uh, beginners or just move at a slower pace and Honestly, really advanced practitioners go to those, too, because they just enjoy them so much.
1: Mm. Let me ask both of you. Thumbs up or thumbs down on hot yoga? I'm a thumbs up. Thumbs up? Neutral. 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 Okay. Spoken
4: spoken like a yogi.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I understand. I understand. I really appreciate you both being here. I want to thank my guests, Sujata Yarlugata. She is a yoga instructor and yoga therapist who's involved with yoga research studies at Vanderbilt and Chris Baltadono. She is the founder and owner and yoga instructor at Ola Yoga in East Nashville. And if you're interested in trying any yoga, but there's a financial barrier that might be keeping you going to class, make sure to check out the membership scholarships that Ola offers really both of you thank you so much happy holidays to you
4: thank you glad to be here
1: thank
4: you It's a pleasure.
1: we've got to take a short break when we come back we're turning our attention to meditation including a guided sound meditation right here in the studio stay tuned and you can always join the conversation by tweeting us at this is Nashville we'll be right back Nashville. Today, we're talking with local practitioners about their own Tai Chi Yoga and Meditation Practices and how anyone can take a step towards practicing themselves. We're now turning to meditation. We're joined by Jojo Jackson, a yoga teacher who leads sound meditation sessions called Sound Baths. Jojo, thanks for being here. Welcome to This Is Nashville.
5: Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Happy
1: to have you here with us. Okay, so a little bit later on, JoJo is gonna lead us in sound meditation. But before we get there, we're gonna cover some basics. Can you tell us what is meditation and does it always involve, you know, the stoic posture of sitting still, legs crossed with our eyes closed?
5: Ah, uh, yes. Um, so meditation is a practice that is about finding stillness and turning inward, you can do meditation in the kind of upright classic posture that we might think of, and you can also do meditation laying down. There's different types of meditation, such as yoga nidra, which is a type of sleep meditation. There's um, classic, you know, upright seated meditation practices. There's music meditation, um, sound meditation, like I'm going to demonstrate here. And uh, there's even different meditations that you can do walking or mm. um, staring up at the stars. So there's all sorts of ways that you can practice meditation that you can find that fits you. You know, <laughs> there's, there's
1: a few things you mentioned there that really piqued my interest. Number one, sleep meditation. If so, <laughs> sign me up. And you also mentioned a walking meditation. And that kind of, kind of reminds me of when I was a younger adult living in Los Angeles. I would go out. My sister and I had this practice when we lived separately. We go out for the day and we wouldn't speak until we were spoken to by somebody. Somebody says hello or whatever. That's when we would open up. And sometimes you could go hours just walking before someone says something to you. And we kind of called it our walking meditation. Is that kind of the essence? Maybe not the, the strict, not talking to someone, but just kind of being conscious and going out there.
5: Yeah, I would say that does capture an essence. And that's that's interesting that you and your sister kind of intuitively included this aspect of silence. That's also a, a meditation on silence, uh, oftentimes called like vipassa meditations. People go to like silent meditation retreats. But I find that's really interesting that you and your sister kind of did that intuitively. Um, just maintain this silence and this intentional walking and moving forward and, and witnessing until someone might break that silence, you know. But yeah, walking meditation—that's um, something that I love to do, uh, and I love to go out in nature and just listen to the to the world bathing me in the sounds of of nature and and having intentional time to to feel the ground beneath me and uh, turning outward and experiencing the outer world, also kind of experience your own inner awe that way too.
1: Now, can you tell us what are some of the documented benefits of meditation?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Meditation, there's so much research going into meditation right now. So meditation is like a conscious interoception. And that word interoception, it's not a common word. It's okay if nobody's heard of it. What it means is it's being consciously aware of your inner state of being. So we're always in this state of interoceptive awareness. Our nervous system, our brain is connected to our body, and there's nerves that run from our brain to our body, and then there's also nerves that go from our body to our brain, right, and tell our brain what's going on in the body. So through this act of interoception, which is just a natural thing that our bodies do, we can start to kind of tap into the subtle processes of our nervous system and notice that there's a choice that we can go into kind of reactionary response of stress or habits or whatever habitual patterning that we might have, mm-hmm. or we can slow things down and find that clarity, that, that inner space and, and make a difference in our lives, try something different. Uh, something that I think is really fascinating about meditation is when talking about this uh, interoception, It's a neural network, right? So, and it's the same neural network that supports empathy and supports compassion and it supports meditation. Mm -hmm. So I just think that that's really um, something that I find really interesting that all these things that meditation does, it also supports this development of compassion and loving kindness and connection to others too, Mm -hmm. through connecting to yourself.
1: That's really intriguing. And, you know, what you're saying, uh, interoception feels like um, it's a... If we look at self-care, I consider that kind of like a Dixie cup, but interoception is more like the ocean, deep and much more vast. Self-care helps us get there, but it's just kind of a beginning method. Now, I want to hear a little bit about your path. You're a yoga teacher, and like many, all of our previous guests, you took a little bit of a different winding path to finding this practice and becoming a practitioner of nada yoga. Tell me your journey.
5: Yeah, sure. So, um, like many people here in the United States, my yoga journey started very physical. Um, I started off practicing the Hot Twenty Six uh, series. So, I loved the sweat, I loved the heat, I loved the physicality of it, and it made me feel really good and connected to my body. Um, at that time, I'm also a musician and uh, and I'm a writer. And there was a lot of things going on in my life at that time uh, when I started to become a yoga teacher. So kind of fast forward a few years and I became a touring musician and I was touring a lot. And when I was in town, I would teach yoga part time and work at a cafe at Fido part time as well. And, um, and I love teaching, offering music to people. I love playing music. I've played music since I was a kid, you know, so it's just, it's a love language for me. And, when I would go out on tour, it was just, I love seeing people enjoying the show and, you know, seeing people having a good time, but man, everyone was just getting really drunk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it was just the music industry was just really, uh, not what I thought it was going to be. Uh, and I didn't want to really do that anymore with my music. It wasn't the way that I saw my gift, like being shared with the world. So again, this is kind of, uh, a a very abridged version of a long story a lot of years are going by in this time but I just I stopped playing like out on shows and started to play more music uh just for like myself Mm -hmm. and uh and started to kind of remove myself from being in the you know at the venues and at the festivals and kind of doing the touring musician life and started to really humbly start pr- practicing sound meditation, and I didn't really know that's what it was. I didn't know that I was doing like this, tapping into this thing called Yoga. but like I just really wanted to shift how I was playing music and how what it was doing to me, because I wasn't feeling positive and happy and healthy and fulfilled with like how my music was going. So... Uh, I just bought a sound bowl one day and it was the first time I was ever able to make a singing bowl actually sing, you Mm. know, Mm -hmm. and it was really magical to me. So it just kind of started with like this one little sound bowl that I still have with me. I I love it. And now it's this whole practice that I do that um, that is just a really big part of like my own personal practice is a big part of just who I am as as a person as a creative person and um and it's a big part of my yoga practice so I feel like it makes me experience this thing and it's like my lifestyle it's always been who I am so it's just I don't know I just feel like it's getting all the check marks for me and I just love I love sharing this practice with everyone. It's
1: intriguing that mm-hmm. you didn't know that you what you were doing. It, it's is it not a yoga or nad yoga?
5: Well, nada, N A D A. But okay. some of my teachers are from India, and when you pronounce things, sometimes that a can get dropped off. I don't. Gotcha. I can't really explain it much better than <laughs> I that. Got, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> okay,
1: so so nad yoga. You didn't know that you were practicing it, but you were you intuited something that you needed. From, you know, changing of your experience, therefore you start doing it. It's kind of similar to how my sister and I just chose to go in silence and things. That kind of feels like your spirit was leading you to the path that you're on.
5: Yeah, I I really do. I I feel really um, that I'm on this for, for something greater than just myself, you know? So I, I believe wholeheartedly, and I love learning about, you know, I'm in uh, a grad school program for yoga therapy, and we learn a lot about the evidence base for yoga and meditation and all these techniques. So it's just really cool to not only have, like, this really deep personal connection, spiritual connection to what I do, um, but then as a professional practice, how there's so much research and evidence to support these ancient traditions that— People have just known for thousands of years through, you know, study and and observation, the same tools that we use today to to understand, like, you know, phenomenon of the known world
1: now. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kali lake We're talking this hour about the art of centering yourself with yoga instructor and sound meditation leader, Jojo Jackson. You can share your comments with us at This Is Nashville. Now, we talked a little bit about breath focus earlier with some of our guests. What role does breath work play in your personal practice? Is it called pranayama? Uh, what, how does it play out?
5: Yeah, you. yeah. The breath is so important, um, and you know, as a yoga teacher, as a Nad yoga practitioner, the breath is also imbued in in sound as well. And there's, I don't want to get too far off into the philosophical end of, of of all this practice, but let's just say that the breath itself is always singing a song, and it's the the natural mantra. And every inhale, the breath sings the mantra, so meaning I am that. And then every exhale, the breath sings the mantra, hum, which is that am I. So just like the inhale turns into the exhale and the exhale turns to the inhale, so turns to hum and hums turns to sa. So Can, the, can we do a little? Yeah, we All can. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So you can just turn inward a little bit and just maybe rest your hands on your heart and hear your, hear your breath breathing and hear your heart beating within. And just notice that that natural play of how the heart beats along to the rhythm of the breath breathing. And just listening deeply, listening deeply to the sound of your heart beating, to the rhythm of your breath breathing. Listening to that inner mantra, that natural song of the breath. On every inhale, hear how the breath subtly sings, so. On every exhale, hear how the breath sings, ha. So, hum, hum, sa, I am that, that am I. The breath sings this and reminds each and every person of their own unique oneness and of our collective togetherness, our unity. Mm. Mm.
1: Wonderful. Thank you. For that now, I just I want to before we get to a demonstration, I do want to find out what happens during sound bath meditation. Talk to us about that.
5: Sure, yeah. So sound bath meditation, there's different types, and what I practice is through what I learn and study with Nod Yoga and my life as a musician. So my practice and style of sound meditation might be different than some of my colleagues and other sound practitioners here in Nashville. So just like uh, yoga practices, how there's a lot of different types of yoga practices, there's a lot of different types of sound meditation practices. There's so this is just one and this is the way that I do it. So whenever I'm leading kind of a a sound meditation, I like to prepare everyone first because we're tapping into one of the five senses. And there's a lot of well, no pun intended. There's a lot of noise that we got to get through our sense of hearing. Right. So Mm -hmm. we kind of have to like work from the outside and come in. So I always like to do some pre-practice and it's a type of like five senses withdrawal technique called Pratyahara. And from there, we kind of go into like some like psychic breath work, as I like to call it. It's pranayama, but we're not physically controlling the breath. We're just starting to tap into like that really subtle awareness. And then from there I just kind of let the sound blossom open. I always lead my sound practice with a mantra, like what we just did, the So Hum mantra of the breath. I always use a simple mantra like that when I lead sound meditations to better help the mind entrain to what's happening. And this idea of entrainment is kind of like the way that When sound waves are um, maybe competing, how eventually those sound waves naturally come to a harmonious kind of resonance. So our brains and our bodies do that as well. So when we use the mantra, the whole purpose of that is to help and train the mind into like a certain frequency, you know. Mm -hmm. So this all then works together to kind of guide that person to have their own inner experience with that, however that their mind's entrained with that. mantra and the sound.
1: Mm -hmm. You're going to give us a demonstration now, right? Yeah,
5: yeah, we're going to do it for a little bit. What we're going to do is it's just going to be a simple listening meditation and just allowing yourself to connect deeply to your sense of hearing and listening to the instrument that's going to be playing. Um, It's an Indian instrument called a tanbara. Yeah, so just listening deeply, listening deeply.
1: All right, here we go. I want to thank my guest jojo jackson yoga teacher who leads sound meditation sessions called sound baths thank you so much for this jojo have a happy holiday well there you are and here we are in this moment together hope you enjoyed the show we're about to take a well-deserved holiday break We'll be back in January with new shows ready to jump into topics and bring new voices here to share with you. We have a lot planned for next year, and we want to thank all of you for your comments of support and your criticisms, as they all help us to make a great show that reflects the communities of Nashville and Middle Tennessee. We wish everyone a warm holiday season. We'll see you in 2024. Thank you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville as a production of Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Catherine Ceces. It was directed by our senior producer, Tasha A.F. Lemley. Our board operator is Liv Lombardi, the masterminds behind our theme music are Larange and Namir Blade. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And the conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at thisisnashville, find us on Instagram, and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville, I'm Khalil Lake We'll see you next year, everybody and be good to each other.